This is We Are Netflix, Netflix employees talking about work and life at Netflix. Probably even more than just being a musician, I started as a professional kid, you know, a professional actor, as they call them, as a teenager. That's Colleen Fitzpatrick, also known as Vitamin C. There's a good chance you've heard her song, Graduation, Friends Forever. Yeah, that graduation song, a staple at pretty much every commencement ceremony since 1999. Before she broke out as a pop star, she booked a variety of gigs as a young performer. I was a dancer specifically, and that led me into a wild ride. I was in a movie called Hairspray, which was, I should say, which is a cult, you know, favorite. And while I was in college, I started writing music and I started playing in bands. The idea of being able to create something of my own was very appealing. And so that's how I started getting into music. So my first band was a band called Eve's Plum. It was like a punk pop band. And we put out a couple records. And then I toured for many, 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 many years. And it was great fun. And then it came to an end. And I was going to go back to school. And I was probably going to be a lawyer. But instead, Colleen forged ahead as a songwriter and singer. And she became a star. And now, as a Netflix employee, Colleen works with artists and producers in music creative production, helping to create Netflix originals. Clearly, Colleen's path is unique. But at Netflix, having an unusual path is not that unusual. I'm Lyle Troxell, and on this episode of We Are Netflix, I'm speaking with colleagues who have had unique journeys to Netflix. Later in the episode, one of our recruiters will explain why Netflix seeks to hire people with non-traditional paths. And as far as non-traditional paths go, I only spoke with one colleague whose resume includes climbing the billboard charts. So first up, I asked Colleen to explain how she eventually wound up finding a home in the music creative production department at Netflix. We started by going back to the release of her first studio album in 1999. I mean, I was quite a bit older than the youth explosion that happened during that year. I mean, that was kind of the year that I think Britney Spears and Mandy Moore and these terrific performers that were all 13, 14, 15, 16, and I was in my 20s. Yeah. But you did become a pop sensation. What was it like to all of a sudden be in the public sphere? You know, I had always been a performer, as I pointed out. So that wasn't so unusual Mm -hmm. because I had bits of big success, certainly with like Hairspray and, uh, you know, a couple other things. Did people recognize you from Hairspray? Yeah. 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 Okay. So you're already kind of familiar with it. Yeah. But, you know, but to your point, not, not at the level of the fame and exposure that I experienced with vitamin C. There were times where even walking down the street in New York City, you know, people would run up to me and being on the subway or something like I had to start wearing, you know, wearing a cap and wearing glasses. It was, it was full on. Yeah. And what was that like? I can tell you, I'm really glad that social media wasn't around (laughs) (laughs) because I, I do remember kind of a funny tale of falling asleep on an airplane and waking up to all of these people taking pictures of me with their phones. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is just the worst. You know, I was like sleeping and my tongue was hanging out. You know, who knows what I was doing? I was totally sacked out on the airplane. You wake up and you see all these people taking photos of you. I can't imagine what people go through now with the scrutiny and the availability of like images to fly so quickly. So 
it's never what you think it is. I'm very fortunate that I had an amazing experience and I loved the act of performing and the art of creating. I did not love being famous. Did you finish your college? I did. Yeah, I graduated from college. And so I was I was very fortunate that I was able to have this great education and still get to do this other very unusual ride in life. <laughs> All right. So as that ride is concluding or ending, how did it end and how did you find yourself in the corporate space? Well, you know, as I mentioned, I thought about going back to school and becoming a lawyer. And part of the reason for that was I had a very acute understanding of like business and how to fill vacuums in the music space. So what do I mean by that? I would look at a situation and could see where there was a hole and where things needed to be filled in and what would work in that space. So it was a combination of marketing, but I also wanted to really understand deals and deal structure. Mm -hmm. So that led me to a natural curiosity of the business. But when vitamin C took off, I didn't do that, but I continued reading and continued learning. And as it was ending, I started doing more and more behind the scenes. So I began writing for other artists and had a lot of success in a very particular kids and family space. So Hannah Montana was a very big phenomenon. It was a Disney show. Miley Cyrus, Selena Gomez, Demi Lovato, all of these people, I started writing songs for them. And the more I did that, the more I discovered that I didn't need to be in front of the camera. I could, I could take this journey of another person's story or just a general story and embellish it and make it bigger and turn it into something that existed on its own, a song, and then have other people perform it and other people take it to the next level. The thing about fame is that you have to really want it. It has nothing to do with the act of being an actor or the, or, or the craft. Fame is its own entity. And that's something that I didn't understand while I was pursuing it. You don't understand it until it happens to you. Yeah. And it's not for everyone. So you're writing for all these musicians and uh -huh. you're making a living doing that, yes? Yeah. And so I started a production company and my production company began creating music properties. For example, there was a doll company that I ended up doing quite a bit of music for, not just jingles, but also extending the brand, thinking of the brand in different aspects, like, you know, a, a touring entity, music for a particular property, like a, mm -hmm. a, you know, a skating rink within the doll's world. In some instances, I ended up scoring and writing music for short form content or for movies. In addition to that, I started developing bands and artists. And some of the people that came out of my world are the artists Tinashe and Haley Kiyoko. I developed both of them in a band called The Stunners and got them signed to Columbia Records and then Republic Records and put them on tour with Justin Bieber. And I was working with partners at the time, but it was really interesting. And it taught me so much about the business, even more than what I had known because I was now on the other side in all of the business meetings, negotiating, working closely with lawyers and managers and publishers and writers and figuring out the structures of these deals and what would be right. And so that led me directly into a job at Nickelodeon. 
if you were running, a, you know, a successful production company, why go and work for entertainment company? Like why work for Nickelodeon and then Netflix? Well, first of all, things were changing in the world in a major way. And the appeal of being in-house and having a different set of resources, but a larger audience was an incredibly appealing, you know, aspect to going in-house, right? So Netflix, for me, when I was making the transition from Nick to Netflix, to me, it very simply represented the future in a lot of ways. It felt like a place where we could take chances and we could make really quality content in a new and exciting way. And that was, that was something that was too great to turn down. I always joke that the only thing I miss about being famous is the free clothes. <laughs> um, and, you know, that is a joke, and it, but it is also the truth. But in all seriousness, I love being behind the scenes. I love being able to extend and share my knowledge and experience. I love being able to help people create. I don't take it for granted. I'm every day very thankful that I have such a cool job. Do you think you might ever go back to performing yourself? I don't think anyone would want that. <laughs> but but um, no. Do you do I mean, karaoke night? Actually, <laughs> oh, I, I do karaoke, yes. Um, <laughs> but you know what? I, I often wonder what like the, the final act will be. I had a friend whose mom decided at 90 to be an actress. And she had this incredibly like fun and lucrative 10 years doing weird commercials as a 90-year-old. And so maybe I'll go back into, into the world when I'm 90. <laughs> Colleen, thank you so much. Thank you. So to sum up Colleen Fitzpatrick's path, she was a performer, then a pop star and songwriter, then eventually a Netflix employee. Her story is unique, but she's not the only one here with an unconventional path. Everyone has a different route. Everyone has a different path through life. And it's possible to take a bunch of different paths and still arrive at similar or the same destination. That's Rich Smith, a senior software engineer at Netflix. As a college student working in IT, Rich started taking odd jobs designing websites and writing code. When he first started building his clientele, he sometimes got creative with what he accepted as compensation. I was living with my grandmother at the time, and we had forced air in the house. And th throughout my entire life, I don't recall ever having the air ducts cleaned. But, you know, I thought, well, why don't I get this guy to come out and clean our air ducts, and then I'll just redesign his homepage for him. And so Christmas Day, one year, he actually came out and did that. And it was a, we had a great working relationship. He was a great guy. Wait, did you notice the difference of the, the ducts being cleaned? Did it help with the air in the house? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it helps with allergies a lot. I have terrible allergies. And so that was a godsend for me. And did he get anything out of it? Did the new website help his business? I want to say that I had a significant impact on his SEO. <laughs> <laughs> so that's search engine optimization. So you did make a good website. Yes, I did. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just spent years doing that, starting in college. And then when I dropped out of college and I moved home, I just kind of continued finding clients and building websites for them. Just tried to do a lot of custom work. Soon, Rich was running an impressive entrepreneurial venture. And by the time he started going out for interviews for a full-time position, he was given several offers at different major Silicon Valley companies. His path wasn't exactly as he imagined it, but now at Netflix, he has a chance to utilize many of the skills he's picked up over the years. 
being an engineer is a constant learning journey. And I think that because I started it off teaching myself, it really gave me the confidence to know that I can learn anything that I set my mind to. And so it makes me feel comfortable in any type of environment because I know that if there's something that I don't know, that I can seek out the knowledge. Rich didn't finish college, but his work experience allowed him to gain invaluable expertise. And he's not alone. Some of the best engineers that I've ever worked with in my career either had never gone to college or they dropped out of it. And it's just because they had the aptitude and the tenacity and the drive to really just learn and stay committed to it and really master it. Rich says that having people from different kinds of backgrounds ultimately makes Netflix a stronger company. And I agree. I think that when you assemble a team of people who all have different backgrounds, it allows you to account for each other's blind spots. And it allows you to have some overlap in the strengths that you want, but also not as much overlap in terms of the breadth of experience and perspectives that they all bring to the table. Even the team that I'm on now is a really great example of that, where we all have very different backgrounds and we all took very different paths to, to getting here and we all have very different interests. And so some of us care more about testing, some of us care more about performance, some of us care more about feature work and building UIs. And I find that it really it helps us work well together because we can sort of divvy up responsibilities and it doesn't feel like someone is doing the chore because they actually kind of enjoy that work. My very first job out of college was helping my parents in a Moroccan restaurant that they have in Paris, actually. So I was a waitress at their restaurant. And after that, I worked in Disneyland Paris and I was in charge, like fun fact, I was in charge of the candy cotton within a, a small shop just behind the castle. So that's fun. You know, I don't have a traditional background that looks like a lot of my peers. I went to a community college and I was studying art. You know, when I graduated from high school, my intention was to be an art teacher. I was contacted on my LinkedIn account by a recruiter asking if I was interested in an exciting opportunity, an up-and-coming company, and I was like, hmm. <laughs> but I was already a fan and a member of Netflix ever since they started in 2000, I believe, 15 in Japan. And I looked at the JD and I didn't seem like a, I checked most of the boxes in the JD, but I'm like, oh. I didn't have the work experience that they were looking for. I think they were specifically looking for something with more entertainment, legal-related experience. So I'm like, I'm just going to take my chance and do the interview. And voila, I'm here. Those last three voices belong to Shireen Malki, editorial and publishing manager in Paris, Gina Rodriguez, product designer in Los Angeles, and Shoko Yugura, manager on the rights management team in Tokyo. We've heard from a few of my colleagues with unique career paths, and there are many, many more. So it struck me, are we doing something different here? I decided to ask an expert on the hiring process at Netflix. I see myself as a connector, finding people and connecting them to opportunity. My name is Zina Dabamani. I am a recruiting researcher for the creative production team, which sits within the greater product organization. I've been here for about three years and 10 months, but it feels like much longer. Why does it feel like longer? 
I think Netflix time is a little bit like dog years in the sense that we move very quickly and we're accomplishing a lot in a short period of time. So you've been here for a while and you've been doing recruiting. In your experience, what is the most common path to Netflix? Like degrees, other professions, what do we do we have a commonality that kind of defines the most common path? I wouldn't say that we have a most common path. Maybe that was, you know, a question that would be answered affirmatively a few years ago, but the beauty about Netflix right now and the rate that we are growing means that we can take risks and find people from alternative paths. And so my role is to make sure that I'm not creating duplicates in many ways. You said risks with association with uncommon paths. What what do you mean by risks? Yeah, what I mean by risks is just to open up our minds into alternative thinking, right? So I think that if we need to hire somebody for creative production, maybe what I could do initially is go look at other studios that are making content. But maybe I can expand my thinking a little bit further and think about the specific skills that are required in the day-to-day of this role and that are also required to elevate that respective team. And when I think about a role that way, that means that I can expand the types of companies. I can look into telecommunications, I can look into startups, I can look into government, I can look into nonprofits and find that person who will uplevel the team. Wow. It seems like a hard job. Yes. <laughs> But it's also quite fun. You know, it goes back to the reason that I do it is because I get to play a significant role in the makeup of the Netflix workforce and how those people will impact the next iteration of Netflix, the tomorrow of Netflix. And so that feels very exciting to me. Do you have a certain area that you focus on? Um, or do you care about where, what part of the world people are from? Do we have a traditional path of where we hire? Right now, I would say that most of my roles are based in the U.S. What is exciting about many of them is that many of the hiring managers that I am working with are open to people being remote or open to finding leaders from different countries. I think bringing in an international perspective to Netflix is always very valuable so that we can continue as an employee base to build our global IQ in a sense. Yeah. How do you check yourself on your own maybe bias on what is or isn't a person that we'd want to work with? How do you make sure that you're always kind of pushing that boundary a bit and getting as inclusive as possible? Yeah. I try to ask myself quite often throughout a search, what are the essential skills that I need for this role in this person to bring value to the day-to-day of that team? And then I try to go further and think, what are the skills that this team doesn't have yet that they could use and have become beneficial to elevate them in a sense? The other question I try to ask myself on a weekly basis is, is my pipeline representative of the Netflix subscriber base? Does it include people from underrepresented backgrounds, from different perspectives? And I think that that self-reflection 
And that checking myself consistently and making sure that I am also checking my partners and the hiring managers that I work with helps bring amazing people to the table. I feel like right now there's someone listening, thinking I could be a fit for Netflix, maybe for the first time, right? What would you like them to know? That it is important to be able to articulate how and why, and to think about your skills and not necessarily the space that you come from or the industry that you come from, but to think about skills that you have and how you can up-level certain teams based on your skills. I would also say don't be afraid to fail. What do you mean? My path to Netflix was a journey. You know, I got rejected or turned down twice and it was a 10 month long journey for me. And I think retrospectively, you can't always think that I'm not ready for Netflix. You have to be able to make space for the perspective that perhaps at that time, Netflix also wasn't ready for me. How does someone get seen by Netflix? You know, I will acknowledge that we have a lot of volume here in terms of applicants, but I would also say that recruiters are often pretty open to making connections on places like LinkedIn or on places like Twitter or on places like GitHub. Try to just build a connection with a recruiter. And once you build that connection, we have these platforms where if you post about what you're doing and your accomplishments, Sooner or later, we'll see, right? Um, and don't give up in that regard. The other aspect is I think that some of us come from a mindset where I am not going to let a person see my resume until I apply to something. I think that it is hugely beneficial when I can look up somebody's name and see what they are up to in detail, openly and publicly. I want people, especially people from underrepresented backgrounds, to be open about their accomplishments and what mm. they are doing and their experiences so that that eliminates, you know, a little like middle step in between. Yeah, I get that. So try to be proud and show your work and your resume on different platforms so that you can be seen. It seems like that might be a bit of a, that's maybe a big ask to, to make of somebody, right? It's a very different kind of personality that like goes it and puts the resume public all the time. Is that essential for an employee at Netflix to be that kind of person? They don't necessarily have to be that sort of person. I think that to succeed at Netflix, there needs to be a level of humility here, a level of understanding that you may have to stop a certain project in between or change course quite quickly. And that humility is something that we gauge for throughout the interview process. But humility is different from transparency. And I think that transparency in terms of accomplishments and in terms of what you want in the next step of your career can be helpful if you feel comfortable presenting yourself in that way. That again was Zenat Amani, recruiting researcher here at Netflix. I want to thank all my guests who were transparent with their career paths. Hearing their stories made me think about my own unique path. I was raised in the theater. I'm a college dropout. I worked as an antique book restorer, a movie prop maker. I'm a self-taught web developer and radio host, obviously. 
And for a while, I worked in the university space in high-tech art. I was a tech evangelist traveling all over the world talking about technology. And then I was hired at Netflix to work on the iPhone application, which I did for years. And more recently, I'm now in the animation studio. So even at Netflix, my career path has shifted. My hope is that in listening to these stories, you think about your own unique experiences. And take a look at our job site. Who knows? Maybe the next step in your career is here at Netflix. We Are Netflix is hosted by Lyle Troxell. He's a senior software engineer at Netflix. You can keep up with We Are Netflix on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. To learn more about careers at Netflix, go to jobs.netflix.com.